morning, everyone. It is so good to see you all. Is it good to be together again? Yes, you can speak. It's okay. We're allowed to do that. Uh, it's good to sing together. And the sun has come out for us. It's not that cold, is it? You're okay. See, this, impu- uh, this uh, creates character in us anyway, sitting in the slight cold. It's, it's doing you good. You may not realize it right now, but it is, it is doing good. It's producing character in you right now, sitting in the cold. Um, I just wanted to extend my gratitude and thanks to the team at Oak Hall, really, for having us again. Uh, Paul Mayo very generously let us use their facilities here. Matthew and Sue worked very hard in putting all this together, and uh, Sarah, who you just saw, and Evan, and the Salter family, and everybody works really hard to make this happen. So we're just really grateful for them for letting us have this and make it happen, really. Um, also wanted to just thank all the team that were here. Uh, people were here at 8 o'clock, half past 8, setting up. Um, Jeeves has worked really hard to make this happen, so uh, Jeeves and Catherine, we just want to thank you for all that you've done, so we're really grateful for that. But, of course, we are here this morning to celebrate. That's right, we are celebrating the glorious resurrection. We are here to celebrate the good news that we are singing this morning, not to a dead God, a dead idol, but a living God, because he has risen. And we're going to look at the resurrection today. But before we do that, before we look at the good news, we need to go back a few days to Friday. It's called Good Friday, but it looked quite bad on the day. And we're just going to look at the death first of Jesus before we get to the good news. And I'm going to read from Matthew 27, verse 45. If you have a Bible, we don't have the words on the screen. You can look at it in your own Bible or on your phone or tablet. Now it says this from verse 45, Matthew 27. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabashani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. And tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tomb, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, as we reflect this morning about the resurrection, as we really get it into our hearts and our heads, that's our response, what it should be, filled with awe. You know, when you become a Christian, it is a choice. It's a choice that we make. And the description here of Jesus' death, we see that Jesus dying on a cross is a place that he chose. When we first read this, it might seem like this story is ending in defeat. Jesus is calling out in despair, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Looks like Jesus is 
given up. You failed me, God. But you know what? When I read this, this is why I believe it is true. This is why I believe the Bible is true. Because even the most critical, most suspicious of readers, scholars, historians, and the old guys with their leather patches on their elbows, those sorts of people, um, when they read this, they say, this must have happened. Because if someone's trying to promote their religion, someone's trying to make this up, nobody would put these words in the mouth of their founder. Nobody would put the words in Jesus' mouth. Nobody would get him to say this. So even the skeptics say this must have happened. And it's interesting that in this bit of scripture, there's a part written in Aramaic, and there's no need for it because they're writing to Greek speakers. And the reason that it's in Aramaic is because it's an eyewitness account. And they're never going to forget that cry. It stays with them for their whole life. And we should never forget that cry this morning. Jesus is asking why. Why did God forsake Jesus on the cross? And to begin to understand that, we have to realize that Jesus here is quoting a Bible verse. This is why he knows what's going on. He's quoting Psalm 22. It shows us he knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. He's quoting a Psalm of David. Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. They pierce my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and glow over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. The thing is, this never happened to David. And what he's describing is an execution. And when Jesus is saying this and he's crying out, he's saying, David is talking about me. Judgment is coming down on me. This execution is a punishment. It says in verse 45 from Matthew, which I just read, uh, it says, from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. If you study the Old Testament, you'll know what darkness means. In Amos uh, chapter 8, verse 9, it says, on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will make it like the morning for an only sun, and at the end of it like a bitter day. Darkness is a sign of God's judgment over the whole human race. And punishment is deserved. And we think, well, we can't understand the cross. Why has God forsaken Jesus? We, we can't necessarily understand that the whole human race has turned its back on God and stand guilty before him. Deserving judgment and punishment. And we do eventually have to answer for the way that we've lived. If we choose to live without God, we will answer for it. The Bible talks about this in Romans. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53 says, all like sheep have gone astray, every one of us. That's why God has forsaken Jesus on the cross, because in, it's just like in a court of law, where a crime has been committed and a punishment has to be paid, Jesus is like the judge coming round, convict, convicting the person and coming round and then taking the punishment for us. All have turned their back on God. And we next thing we look at in what we read from Matthew, my God, my God, we see that through this cry is Jesus' obedience and his suffering. 
Have you ever noticed he's not saying, my hands, my hands, or my, my feet, my feet. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He's got nails through his hands and his feet. But the most painful thing is he's saying, my God, because he's taking the suffering and the sin of the whole world upon his shoulders. He's being separated from a moment because the Father cannot look upon what is not holy as he has taken that sin. And we know that losing people we love hurts. Acquaintances hurts. Um, friends, painful children, parents. Or, but when we're physically connected to people, we lose them. It is most painful. And Jesus is, some, Jesus is losing someone for at that moment with the Father whose very souls have been intertwined for all eternity. And that my is intimate. It's like saying my Gemma, who's my wife, by the way, and my Elijah, who just lost out on the um, rock, paper, scissors. And that's what Jesus is facing here. He's losing that connection for the right and eternal punishment for us if we turn our backs on God. Exclusion from the presence of God. He's experiencing a type of hell. I don't believe Jesus went into hell. He's experiencing a type of hell. And I often hear the expression of being to hell and back. But there's only really ever been truly hell on earth once. When the Son of God became man, lived the life we should have lived, and died the death we should have died. And in Jerusalem that day hung a picture of hell as the Son of God was cut off socially from everyone, deserted emotionally on the cross, and separated spiritually from the eternal Father, from whom he had always lived face to face. That was hell. And when we are become Christians, that choice that I was talking about, we make. We're dying. We're dying to our old self. And we can only do that because Jesus died in our place. If you're a visitor here, we do um, full immersion baptisms. We put people under the water. And that is a symbol when they go under the water of them dying to their old self. And then eventually, after a few minutes, we lift them back up. Good, I'm glad you got that. Um, and eventually, we lift them back up. And that is symbolic of them being raised to life again, just like Christ. And it symbolizes Christ's resurrection. And as Jesus, as well, breathed his last breath, the curtain was torn in two. Yeah. Do you notice it was from top to bottom? Not bottom to top. It was God coming down and tearing the curtain. The curtain is also very symbolic because it was what separated the priests or the people in the temple from where the, we believe the, the presence of God dwelt. And the curtain was torn from top, God coming down to earth so that we could have access. He's risen. He's already walked through the valley of the shadow of death before us. He knows what it's like to remain dead. And he's with us even in our own death during the intermediate state, even while we await the resurrection. And Christians can have hope in the face of death because Jesus experienced the same thing we do when we die. Jesus wasn't abandoned in death and neither of those united to him. And Jesus' resurrection proves victory over death, 
hell, and the grave. Now, let's move on to Matthew 28. Now, because we're sitting here and it's a bit cold, I need your participation, okay? So when we talk about he is risen, you can look enthusiastic, you could even make a noise. We could go a little bit further than the polite English golf clap. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting a par four. You know, that's not what we're doing here. We are celebrating the resurrection, okay? So when I say he is risen, maybe you could even say, the more Pentecostal amongst us could say, hallelujah, okay? You could try that, maybe? Okay. The inner Pentecostal could come out of you this morning. Hallelujah. I know some of you will find that easier, by the way. Ayo, I need you in this moment. Okay, Matthew 28, verse 1 to 10. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Hallelujah! Well done doing so well he has risen well done just as he said come and see the place where he lay then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead very good and he's going ahead of you into galilee and there you will see him now i have told you you never end a sentence like that do you You talk to someone and say now i have told you anyway so the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy you can be filled with joy this morning to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The stone was rolled away. Not so Jesus could get out, but so we could get in and see that he has risen. Hallelujah. Very good. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then he's invited you in to see that he's not dead, but he's alive. You see, if resurrection is not there, then death is still ruling and reigning over us and all of humanity. Resurrection shows that the bill, the price has been paid in full. Sin and death have been defeated forever. Now, in 1984... I made a a decision. And I thought, at the time, it was a good decision. And I thought, there would be years of joy ahead of me. But sadly, alas, there were not. Because in 1984, I made a decision to follow a team that I, at the time, were one of the best teams, football teams. I'm not bothering with those other silly sports, you know, chasing eggs and things. Um, I chose to follow this team we were the best team in the country, one of the best teams. They were winning cups and leagues. And you know what? The last time Everton won the league was 1987. And the last time they won the FA Cup was 1995. I'm sure you all remember the Paul Rideout header that won that against Manchester United. But do you know what? There wasn't a life of winning trophies. And no victory is lasting and eternal. Even Liverpool winning the league, thankfully. 
is, is always reset because there's only one lasting, eternal victory. And that is what we, of course, are realizing and celebrating this morning. That's why there's joy when we're singing together this morning. Because right? Jesus being raised from the dead, God is declaring his satisfaction and approval of the payment that Christ has made on our behalf, on your behalf, on my behalf, for your sins and mine. So that we can be free to live the life he wants us to live. In relationship with God, in the presence of God. People often wonder when they come into church, when we used to do that, do you remember those days? The good old days, we used to gather together in the church building. And there was such joy, and people would say, why is there joy? Because we're in the presence of God, and we're delighted because of what has happened. God's approval of Christ's death in our place has demonstrated in raising Jesus from the dead. It's likewise directed to us, because when we believe, we receive the favour of God, and therefore our justification is a real consequence of Christ's resurrection. Nicky Gumbel says um, in Alpha, the resurrection of Jesus is rooted in history, it is grounded in scripture, and confirmed in experience. And you might see it is confirmed in experience this morning, because there are many people here whose lives have been changed. Mine, I'll count that too, as a result of the resurrection power. And why is the resurrection so important? Because you think, you know, we can all think, well, we believe in heaven, we believe in resurrection, and when we die, things get better. But then a crisis happens, or we may only have a few months to live, or something happens, and it can be in our heads, but not in our hearts. And we can philosophize about death, even when we come near it. And then we can carry on like it will never happen. But we have to get it not just into our heads, but into our hearts. We suppress the truth that we are mortal. And if we admit that we are, then we know that we are in need of God. The resurrection gives us hope in the midst of hopelessness. There's been a lot of hopelessness around in the last year. But there's always hope. There's always hope because if we believe this, if we believe what the Bible tells us, we know how it's going to end. Even in suffering, there will be some form of resurrection, some good will come out of it, because God works everything to good together for the good of those who love him. The Bible talks about the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself, to give yourself to service to the king. The real way to be happy is to think of the happiness of others. The real way to be rich is to be incredibly generous. To lose your life is to find it. The former legal editor and journalist, Lee Strobel, who's a, an atheist, he, he made a, several years in investigating the claims of Christ and the truth of Christ, came to this conclusion. He says, one, if Jesus did rise from the dead, he's still alive today and he's available for me to encounter on a personal basis. Number two, if Jesus conquered death, he can open the door of eternal life for me too. Sounds all right, doesn't it? If, number three, if Jesus has divine power, he has the supernatural ability to guide me, help me, and transform me as I follow him. 
If Jesus personally knows the pain of loss and suffering, he can comfort and encourage me in the midst of the turbulence that he himself warned is inevitable in a world corrupted by sin. Five, if Jesus loves me, as he says, he has my best interests at heart, and that means I have nothing to lose and everything to gain by committing myself to him and his purposes. And if Jesus is who he claims to be, remember, no leader of any other major religion ever pretended to be God. If he's, as my creator, he rightfully deserves my allegiance, obedience, and worship. He said, he got to this conclusion and then asked himself the most pressing question. If I believe those things, now what? He says he sat back at his desk and he realized he needed more than an intellectual decision. He wanted to make an experiential step. He read the verse from John, uh, John 1 verse 12. It says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the, these verses sum up what is needed to enter into a relationship with God and be adopted into his family. We believe, we receive, and then we become. See, if you believe you are separated from God by your sins because God is holy and pure, you need the cross of Christ to bridge the gap. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once and for all, for the righteous and the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And you can receive. See, all other faith systems have a to-do plan. In other words, you have to do something. You have to pray in a certain way, go on a pilgrimage, work something off, reform your character. But Christianity is unique because it's based on the it's done plan. Jesus has done it for us on the cross for what we could not do ourselves. He's paid the death penalty for what we deserve, our rebellion, so we can be reconciled with God. And what we have to do is take a step of faith, which is reasonable is rational and logical. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I would strongly urge you to consider this, not to approach this casually. This is not merely truth claims at stake here, but we ourselves and our eternal destiny is at stake. And you can come back to him you can come to him now for the first time, or you can come back to him now whether it's even for the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth time. And as we were worshipping this morning, I just felt this um, sense of God speaking to me and uh, reminding me of actually what else was said of that resurrection morning. When the disciples went to look for Jesus, they said, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead and I just feel that maybe there are some dead things in your life that you're looking for life and maybe you need to die to those things because you're looking for life in the wrong places and we can come to him and we can just pray a simple prayer and it's three words really just led someone through it this week Sorry, thank you, please. That's all we have to say. Sorry, Lord, that I've turned my back on you for the things that I have done. 
thank you that you died for me on the cross, taking my sin. Now please come into my life. Fill me with your spirit and help me follow you. That's all you have to do. It's simple. And you might want to come back to him. You might have felt distant from him in this uh, lockdown. You might have felt distant through this whole past year. It's been an incredibly difficult year. But I just feel there's a moment here this morning where God is calling us back in. He's saying, now's the time. You've been busy. You've had your attention uh, distracted. Now come back to me. Now's that moment. I can ask us all to stand. I'm going to pray. And you can just pray that simple prayer after me if you want to. If you want to come back to him, like I said, for a second, third or fourth time, or for the very first time. We just bow our heads for a moment and say after me. Lord, I'm sorry for turning my back on you. For the things that I have done. Thank you for dying for me on the cross and taking my sin. Please now come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me follow you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just want to pray now for us where we've been looking for the living amongst the dead where we've been distracted where we haven't had our eyes fixed upon you we've been focused on work we've been focused on our fears we've been focused on family lord but we choose now to fix our eyes upon you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who defeated death forever, the one who's conquered death, the one who means we don't have to fear the grave anymore. Just fix your eyes upon him right now. Doesn't matter what's going on around, just this is a moment between you and God. He sees all that you've been through over this last year. He's saying, come to me, my child. You're his child. You've been adopted into his family. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him. Yeah. He wants to come and fill you again with his Holy Spirit. saying, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Will you follow me? If you've prayed that prayer, whether it was now, you've done it again, or you did it years ago, God, when he looks at you now, he sees Jesus. He sees perfection. What is on offer? 
That's what is on offer when you choose to give your life to God. All other religions say, live this way, make yourself better. Jesus says, I am the way. Thank you, Jesus, for this glorious Resurrection Sunday where we can celebrate that we have life and life in all its fullness because of you, because of the cross, because of the empty tomb. Thank you that you let us in to see that you are not dead, but you are alive. We're going to come back now and worship and celebrate that glorious moment again. Amen.